Hi everyone! In this series I'm exploring the approaches and interventions I've practiced over the last 25 years to help others remove roadblocks, find unexpected inner strengths and open new doors. Each episode contains a personal learning experience enriched with scientific background and most importantly suggestions on how to apply this knowledge. After all, what is in our heads is just intellectual, like knowledge written in a book. The magic unfolds if we find ways to use that knowledge. Thanks for being here, thanks for listening. Welcome to Leadership Bits. It happened again this week. I've been meaning to continue to discuss the roles that we play and what practical use that idea can have, but on Monday somebody talked about the amazing resilience people had when it comes to dealing with a pandemic. And I thought, here it is. I spent a lot of time on the science of resilience because it became so popular in management trainings in the last couple of years. So naturally, it was on my list for future episodes. When I started to refresh my memories on Tuesday and Wednesday to figure out the gist of today's episode, I naturally ended up with Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, which on a side note I will always recommend for people to read. Frankl is a Holocaust survivor and we have to keep that knowledge alive so it will never ever happen again. By Thursday, I felt that early choice for Monday to go after a rather dark subject did not correspond to my vibes this week at all. I was creative, upbeat and enjoying the days. It did not feel right to talk about the ability to survive under dire conditions, so I let it go. And if you were wondering what this has to do with today's episode, like we're three minutes in and still nowhere to go, we are already right in the middle of this week's plot. So I let the resilience go for this week and patiently waited for something else to show up. In a way, I have learned to trust myself that my brain will eventually come up with the right thing. This is easier, of course, if there is a backup plan in place. The resilience podcast was 90% ready, so if the spark would not come from a different direction, I would still be able to publish good content on Sunday. But my brain delivered. The spark came in Friday afternoon after the week's work was done, and it was about the spark itself. Where do our good ideas come from and why do we always have them randomly and not when we desperately need them? Stay with me when I talk about the mechanism that gives us those moments of clarity, where we feel we found the solution, when we understand connections and everything lies so clear in front of us. Those moments that vanish a few seconds later, leaving us desperately trying to piece together what that idea was just moments later. Welcome to The Spark. Welcome to Clarity and welcome to your creative self. I always ask people in workshops when they have their best ideas. The answers are as diverse as they are funny and telling during a longer run or bicycle ride, on the commute from work, under the shower or while spending time in the bathroom for other reasons. Also, when there is nothing else to do like during a long haul flight or when we're doing the dishes all by ourselves. Notice one thing, no one mentions their workplace. No one says they have their best ideas between 8 and 5 during a work week. And that includes brainstorming sessions which sole purpose is to come up with ideas. Our brain delivers the moment of clarity, the divine spark when it wants to, not when it has to. It is fairly common knowledge, but 
Let me mention it here. Early psychologists estimated that 95% of all psychological activity is unconscious. MRI scans 100 years later tell us that they were about right. We see an energy spark in a part of the brain that is believed to be responsible for moving body parts before we consciously decide to lift our arm, for example. This has been proven in countless experiments. The brain knows what we are going to do before we know it. Even if you think so, you're not the boss in the house. There's a supercomputer at work which decides what it pushes into our consciousness and what not. When it comes to processing power of the brain, there are different numbers out there. Some say it processes about 400 billion bits of information coming in from the body's nervous system, others say 11 million. That's a pretty stark difference and better taken with a pinch of salt. But what everyone is in agreement, however, is that our conscious mind seems to be able to process only a fraction of that, 50 bits per second. There's a tremendous amount of compression and filtering going on at all time. You might hear the birds chirping, but when your mind focuses on something else, you don't hear them anymore. But the birds are still there. The brain just decided to mute that channel. I'm sitting on my office chair as I script this. Imagine I would be aware of all times, of all the body parts that touch the chair. My wrists that rest on the empty space in front of my keyboard. The other subtle noises in the room, the temperature. My feet resting on the ground. If my brain would allow all of this to flow into my consciousness without filter, I could not concentrate on anything else. So how can I sway that supercomputer to give the solutions that I desperately need to solve the current problem that I'm dealing with? Like trying to understand my 11-year-old's math homework, which, as embarrassing as this might be, requires me a minute to think before I can help her. And although this is something the brain offers willingly after a few moments, it is more restrained when I need a solution for a problem at work or how I solve a conflict with a friend. Because there is so much information to process, our brain has established rules early in life. Unfortunately, we are not aware of most of those rules. In fact, it's our life story to figure them out. One of the brain's strategies in trying to make sense of life is to group similar experiences and come up with an automatic response to those group of experiences. If someone approaches us in a threatening way, we have a response for that. If someone approaches us friendly, we have another response for that, and so on. Those are patterns, or how I like to call them, drawers. Our brain is like a chest of drawers of automatic responses to certain experiences. By the age of 12, more or less, our brain has put the world for the most part in drawers and goes on autopilot. By that age, we know how to get on and off a bus, how to eat with fork and knife, how to start and end a conversation, or how we feel about things. Younger children see themselves as the center of the universe, and by the age of 12, most of us have understood that we can't ask everyone to satisfy our needs, like we did when we were children. Our personality has become strong enough to differentiate between the inner feelings and the outer world. That sounds strange. But here children, they basically look at the world differently. Everyone around them is supposed to give them attention and satisfy their immediate needs. It takes years for us to get over the fact that on the inside, everyone thinks they are the center of the universe. That whole process has left a core set of values and beliefs. And as later in life, when we might own a house and protect it from intrusion, so does our emotional system have protection. 
strong protection. Only in glimpses can we look past our established drawers. Others would call this also our unconscious bias. Once we have learned something, filed it in a drawer, it is very hard to bring consciousness back to that automatism. Those drawers or patterns touch everything about us. It is like the foundation of who we are. And because it is so essential, it is protected by a very, very strong immune system. And typically, the door to our engine room is closed for good reasons. We have no control over when we are allowed to look at the foundation and acquired patterns. It would be nice to be able to go to the server room, the main console, from time to time and take control. But that option is not there. Yet, we're not all powerless. Only the secret to accessing our deeper powers does not lie in our intellectual abilities, but rather in our emotional ones. I cannot think myself into the control room. As hard as I try, the life-changing ideas of better understanding cannot be achieved by the push of a button. That's, by the way, why brainstorming is a funny thing. It is never useless. It can be fun and help stimulate mirror neurons when working with a group of people, but it can never lead to the results compared to the spark, the moment of clarity we occasionally have. More about the emotional access. When we go through emotional distress, like getting fired at work, the end of a relationship or something else that deeply shakes our foundation, our system is busy processing that emotion and often grants us glimpses into the control room. Just for a moment, we see everything clearly. There's that sudden moment of clarity where we seem to understand the world a little bit better. Everything makes sense. And after a few moments, that clarity is gone. Our defenses are up again and the door is closed. When the defenses are down, our system is more likely to let us in. That's why we have the best ideas when we do not try to break in through the front door, but when we are busy with something else, like a run or anything else that gets us into the flow. Here's the simples of all techniques if you need to remember something. Imagine you see a familiar face on screen and you think you've seen that actor in another movie before, but you just can't remember it. We get to our answer by either using the internet, which is the worst you can do, by the way, if you want to maintain your brain's agility, or by thinking about something completely else. Let go of the search for that actor's name. And most randomly, sometime later, sometimes even the next day, we remember the name in the movie. So, how do we make that supercomputer work for us? Number one, feed it. It cannot operate on information it does not have. So whatever your favorite method is, reading, listening, watching, make sure to fill your memory banks. William Duggan from Columbia University has done some fascinating work about how the brain learns and how we come to our best ideas. He calls it the coup d'oeil, which means a stroke of the eye or glance. It's that sudden insight that shows us what course of action to take. Duggan says it comes from knowledge of the past. We draw on learnings, we draw on lessons learned, which in new combinations fit the current problem. This way, he explains how Napoleon won nearly all of his battles and how Picasso merged many influences into his unique style. The key is to teach the brain to make connections between problems and solutions, which is best done by understanding how other people solve problems. This is one reason why most learning today happens with case studies. It shows the brain how a certain problem was solved. 
And the more case studies we do, the more connections our brain makes between problems and solutions, thus making us great problem solvers. Secondly, train the emotional path. You can't fill your brain with so many case studies and you still won't get enough moments of clarity. It might be harder for some and easier for others, but there is no way around it. In order to find the answer to the question, we need to let go, lower the defenses. What are my strategies and other strategies I've seen? For once, I accept that I cannot force it. There is no front door. Then it is very important to know yourself. It's something I absolutely do not like about myself, but my brain grants me better ideas under stress. For example, when the deadline is breathing down my neck already. Then there's a pattern of past sparks. I often have great ideas from kilometer seven on when I'm on a longer run. Or the same happens after about 45 minutes. I don't think a lot about it, I just take it. And then it's a journey. It took me years to trust that process. I lived in fear my creativity would end somehow. For what I know, it always came back. And the less I force it, the stronger it gets. Last but not least, learn to get into the flow. If you sit down to work on something and you feel resistance, work hard to get through those 10, 20, sometimes 60 minutes. Especially on the days where I struggle the most in the beginning, I stay at it, my brain is more generous down the road. Concluding with a little bit of pep talk. Never ever tell yourself that you are not the creative type. That might have been a corner that you made yourself comfortable in, but your brain has the basic functionalities like any other human brain. A lot of people find the door to the engine room not in their 20s, but rather in their 40s or 50s. Never give up. This was Leadership Bits. Send me your thoughts or even your most recent spark to dirk at alicebits21.com. I'd love to hear from you. Stay safe wherever you are. <laughs>